Welcome to the Blended Learning in Action podcast, where we discuss all things around student-centered learning with educators and thought leaders around the world. I'm your host, Charity Dodd. Welcome to the Blended Learning in Action podcast. This is our sixth episode called Celebrating Black Brilliance. I'm your host, Charity Dodd, and in this episode, we'll talk with Rohia Tusibi and Cassandra Corbin Thaddeus about creating a year-long celebration of Black genius among students and teachers. We'll get started by introducing Rohia Tu and Cassandra. Rohia Tu is a lifelong learner, educator, artist, and mentor committed to disrupting the school-to-prison pipeline and centering the health and well-being of traditionally marginalized students. After receiving her undergraduate degree at her beloved Howard University, Rohia too graduated from Lincoln Center Scholars' inaugural cohort and recently obtained her Master's in Educational Leadership. Cassandra, or Coach Cass, is the proud mother of two African-American young men. She is a passionate leader who believes deeply in creating mindset shifts in education that create equitable learning experiences for students of color. She has worked in education for 25 years, managing educational programs, serving underserved students in K-12 schools, partnered with Stanford University's Graduate School of Education as a contributor to the design and course development of a professional development platform, and is a published author in the Education Technology Insights Journal, CXO Insights, Cassandra is an instructional design and technology doctoral student at Kaiser University in West Palm Beach, Florida, and currently serves as the Director of Transformational Coaching at Link. I am grateful and blessed to work alongside and learn from these two powerful women. They are changing mindsets every day in the world of education and in our company, and it's inspiring to be a part of it with them. Welcome, Rohia Tu and Cassandra. Thank you, Charity. Thanks Thanks for having us. Yes. Typically, this podcast focuses on blended learning strategies, and blended learning is relevant in creating equitable classrooms. Blended learning gives us the space to get to know and understand our students. And when we get to know and understand our students, we can foster learning experiences that allow students to bring their cultural competencies into the classroom, which increases relevance, authenticity, and student empowerment. This personalization for our students becomes the bridge to create those equitable classrooms, which allows us to dig deeper into students' experiences in ways that help us build anti-racist institutions and classrooms which are supportive of all students. Do you two agree with that? Absolutely. Yep. Most definitely. Mm-hmm. All right. So I just wanted to put that out there for our audience that this is blended learning. This is equity. And we're going to talk about it and have some fun and learn so much from these two lovely ladies. First, I want to start out. Rohia too. how does LINK define equity? Yes, Charity. So first, I just want to name that equity is one of our values, our core values at Link. Mm -hmm. Um, And our definition and commitment to equity include creating opportunities to engage educators in deep reflection, reflective learning that continue to address personal biases and opportunities to explore, expose, 
and dismantle systemic racism within the school. So this is Link's commitment, not only in February, but beyond February. Absolutely. Everything we do, we're putting equity first. This is our rock, right? This is what we stand on when we think about the work we're doing for educators, for students, and for ourselves within our company. So thank you for sharing that. At Link, we are kicking off Black History Month. You may have seen some of the amazing things that we're doing and sharing, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But with focusing on Black brilliance, do you mind sharing, Cassandra, with our audience what we mean by Black brilliance and why it's our focus? Yes, thank you for asking, Charity. And I just love the title, Black Brilliance, first of all. It just conjures up this magical image. So Mm -hmm. um, one way brilliance is defined is as an intense brightness of light. So just imagine that, right? So this is what our Black students bring into the classroom. This intense bright light includes their natural genius and curiosity their innate ability to show up courageously in this world, right? And in your Mm -hmm. classrooms, despite these meta narratives that they have to deal with every single day. So they bring their rich lived experiences that are shaped and informed by a rich culture. And last but not least, they bring it all as individuals in their own unique way. So that's the part of the brilliance of black students. Mm. They are individuals that bring all of these experiences independent of each other and collectively as a culture. So educators who have recognized and tapped into this brilliance are experiencing high student engagement and creating meaningful learning experiences with and for black students. So you said it just creates this magical image. And when I listen to you talk about that intense brightness of light, that's how it feels to me magical. So thank you for sharing that. Coach Cass just said so much, Mm -hmm. so, so many powerful reflections on what brilliance is. So to add to her analogy, I would say that um, celebrating Black student brilliance is also about removing the shade, the coverings, right, that have been covering their brilliance. Mm. I think of a a lamp, right, that has a shade that's over top of Mm. it. And so sometimes you don't experience the full light of it because there's something covering it up. And so what are those things that have covered it up? It's like systemic oppression there what Dr. Gloria Ladson Billings talks about when she talks about um, the education debt. So because of all of the narratives that Coach Cash mentioned, that brilliance has been covered. Black and brown students have to push through so much in order to be seen um, for the brilliance that they have. And other students don't necessarily have to do that. Mm-hmm. Also thinking about black educators' brilliance. Studies have shown that all kids thrive in classrooms with black teachers. Mm-hmm. And so we have to question like, why is that? What are some of the practices that they're implementing that can benefit all educators? Thank you both for sharing that beautiful description and just really allowing us to hear that and providing that image for us. So you said educators have recognized and tapped into this brilliance the ones that do experience that high student engagement and create meaningful learning for their black students. This reminds me, so this morning I listened to a podcast recommended by our very own Dee Lanier called The Revisionist History Podcast with Malcolm Gladwell. Did either of you get a chance to listen to that? 
I did, and it was very powerful. It's about Brown versus the Board of Ed, right? So it's very interesting, the narrative that was told about the case versus what the families were really after. And the narrative, I think, that the court played out was that the black students were at, their school was not good because they had black teachers. And that wasn't what the families were after. They wanted to have a choice of where their daughter went to school, right? And they discussed this idea that teachers in the classroom have the power. They are the gatekeepers. Teachers can control the classrooms. They decide who stays. They decide who gets suspended. But by paying attention to a student, they can inspire that student by ignoring them or sending them to the principal's office. Teachers are going to discourage. You know, I listened to that this morning. I knew we were going to talk about this today. And it just really aligned to what we're talking about here and how the teachers should have been integrated first before the students because the black teachers were nurturing to their students. They understood their students. They took care of their students. So I don't know if you two want to add anything around that. I think you hit all the highlights of that podcast, um, Charity. And I was, I really felt more inspired around this work and the conversation that we were going to have today because of that. And mainly because there was an emphasis on the power that teachers have, the impact that they have on how students feel. So that belonging that feeling of someone caring mm-hmm. about you creates magic in the classroom for especially for our students of color and so that was really the point that stood out for me one of many but that was one of the points that really stood out for me mm-hmm. as it relates to black brilliance and what Rohitu just talked about which was it being dimmed because it's being overlooked not that it's not there, it's just being overlooked. And how do we raise the awareness of our teachers, especially our white teachers, mm-hmm. to see that brilliance that is showing up every single day in these classrooms? So, yeah, so that's that's what I have to add to I'll add as well in just um, thinking about Brown versus Board. I haven't listened to the podcast mm-hmm. yet. I, I hope to listen to it later today. But even thinking of that concept of integration and how it was always designed for Black students to fit into a system that wasn't made for them. So part of that means the exclusion of Black educators. Only the students were going, but the educators lost their jobs. These educators had a deep knowledge of the students they were teaching, of the culture, of the communities that they come from. And so when we think about the word integration, We have to think about what is it truly saying? And it was almost set up for more of assimilation. Like you move into the system the way that it is and the system will not adjust to accept you, but you have to morph and adjust to fit. And so I've mentioned this in a recent conversation with another colleague. I have stories in my family that discuss how segregated schools serve black children in ways that they were not served after integration. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of educational losses due to integration for black students. Yeah, I, I was shocked, like Dee said, and it just made so much sense. So it's the podcast is called Revisionist History. So really digging into the real history. I would encourage all educators to listen to that, everybody actually to listen to that. Thank you both for sharing on that. Let's move into 
what we're celebrating this month in February. Every February, we celebrate Black History for the month, but we know Black History should be celebrated every month. And I would love for you to share the importance of Black History and why it should be shared every month. I'm glad you said that. Every month, because Black History is American history, and so it shouldn't be relegated to a month. However, I definitely want to acknowledge the work of Carter G. Woodson, who created what we now call Black History Month. It was initially Negro History Week, and I think it was even a a literature week. And he created this. Now, Carter G. Woodson was a famous historian and author, American historian and author. But he saw the need for Black people to learn about their accomplishments, not only in this country, but in the world. And so because of it, he established a week that celebrated Black accomplishments. And so when we think about what are some of the Black accomplishments, there are too many to name during this session. We can't, mm-hmm. we couldn't do that. We couldn't name it in a week. We couldn't even name it in the entire month of Black History Month. But most Black children may have learned about Garrett Morgan, who invented the traffic light and the gas mask. Madam C.J. Walker was not only the first Black millionaire woman, but the first woman millionaire in America. Mm. And so these are things that I learned at a young age, but it wasn't because I learned them in my neighborhood school. It wasn't because this was a part of the curriculum. It was because my mother was intentional about teaching me these things because she understood that there was a gap in what I was learning in school. Not only that, when she noticed that there were certain things I wasn't learning in school, she would pull me out of school Mm. very quickly Mm. and then enroll me somewhere where she knew that I would learn about myself. So then when I'm in high school and I'm talking to other black students and they don't know about Garrett Morgan or they don't know about Madam C.J. Walker, they don't know about any of their history, not even high school, college, I'm astounded because my educational experience was not the norm. The norm is for black students to grow up and even become adults and start to begin and, and really not have a knowledge of where they've come from, how their people have contributed to this country, unless you're doing that research on the outside of on the outside of your uh, regular educational experience, and that mm-hmm. shouldn't be right. Thank you for sharing that, Cassandra. Did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, no, I I think uh, Rohitu hit really the high points on the importance mm-hmm. of Black History Year. We're going for that. And that is is integral part of the conversation. I do believe that we have to begin to think about it that way in order to shift the mindset about it being just kind of a segmented opportunity to highlight what Black people have contributed because we are making history every single day. Mm -hmm. And so that needs to be an integral part of the conversation now so that the history 10 years from now includes our stories and not after the fact and not just highlighted in February. And if I could jump back in again, Coach Cass, you made me think of something else, which is that Black history is important to all students. So you mentioned the narratives that kind of hide that brilliance that our Black students have. Educators, students of all races need to have these real narratives, what's actually happening with Black people in their Mm -hmm. mind, to learn about that from Mm -hmm. young ages, because if not, the very harmful stereotypes that are pushed in the media are what people gravitate to. And so Black history is important to everyone. Absolutely. And that should be the narrative. That needs to be the narrative. Black history is important to everyone and especially 
our white students so that they get a, like you said, we're here to the real narrative or the broader understanding about where they and how black students also relate and how that makes up, like you said, American history and not just one or the other, because it does feed into and perpetuate those stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Do we see any of that changing? Is it getting any better? Is it improving? I am positive that there are pockets of this happening, but it's not happening enough. And I think it needs to happen both ways, bottom up, meaning from our students, and then top down, meaning from our adults, because a lot of us have ways in which we have been programmed, if you will, and taught to believe about Black history or Black Mm -hmm. people in history. And then, again, it becomes generational if you've never challenged, challenged any of that thinking. And that's what we're up to at Link is making those changes and, and making that happen. And Rahia too is leading that work at Link. So we're definitely in good hands with her leading that work. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to learn alongside the Link team yeah. and excited about the commitment that my colleagues have to doing the personal work because it really does take a team of people. Mm-hmm. One person can't do it alone. I know we're dedicated to it, so I appreciate, you know, learning from the two of you, and, and we have a lot to learn still. That kind of takes me into our next question, which is, I am a white female teacher who worked in rural schools, and, you know, and especially in our rural schools, we had no black students, no black or brown students. Why, for our audience listening, why is this work important to the white female teachers, the white male teachers, the white students? So that is uh, another loaded question, Cherry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you asked the question and I'm glad you also said white male teachers as well. Because again, I think all of us have a stereotype that teachers are white females mm-hmm. or females period in many cases, but also for our white male teachers. So there are a number of reasons, right? Mm-hmm. So. I'll start by saying that this work, it creates an opportunity for white teachers to recognize and acknowledge that what we've been saying, black history is American history. That's one. So this is a critical, a very critical counter narrative that's important for us to understand in order for us to begin to break down the artificial white supremacy culture and the privileges in, you know, in one's own life, right? So as our teachers are thinking about this, they can examine for themselves their own lives and where privilege is showing up. And part of that is in, part of that privilege is not recognizing that Black history is, is American history, perhaps. And so making Black culture and our contributions accessible to all students, and especially white students, as we were just talking about, and really challenging ourselves and our students to find the connection, right, between the past but also how and what their lives look like today and how they experience it. So the example that Rohitu mentioned earlier, how many white students know that driving down the street, the traffic light was actually created by a black man, right? That is something that would be important for white students to know and realize and make the connection with. So this is just one perhaps unknown piece of black history that's very important and a part of American history. So taking action with our students is a step towards shifting from white complacency to a legacy of equity. So that would be one, right? Mm-hmm. Another one that I would add is, and I mentioned this a little bit a little bit ago, which is consciously raising our own awareness and comfortability with learning about people who are different from us. So that really kind of halts or put a, puts a 
ideally an end to this vicious cycle of stories mm. of and about and written by black people from being left out of our history and in those conversations, right? So again, so really raising that consciousness and awareness about how black history fits into the daily conversation is important. So consciously decentering our own selves. So as white teachers, white female or male mm-hmm. teachers, really decentering your own story, right? And then making space to teach and recognize and celebrate the contributions of black people because in the past they have not been acknowledged. So that's another thing that white teachers can really do. Think about how to center the black contributions and the black voices of inventors past and also what's happening. And I think that the last thing I would say is none of us really have a luxury to unsee what is happening in this world. There is so much happening that is that we all can agree is because of some of what we're not talking about, right? The truth is racism is really baked into the educational system. And the truth is American history is incomplete without acknowledging the contributions of black people in this country. So we all have a responsibility to increase the visibility of black life and history and education, not just as we mentioned, not just in this moment Hmm. or month, but until we have transformed and changed, inspired how humans how humans live their lives. So those are the things that I I really believe are ways in which teachers like yourself and others can really start to raise their awareness, shift their mindsets, and really start to make room for what's been missing in our conversations and as an incomplete story and really creating these counter mirrors that that we talk about. I think those are really good, actionable steps that our teachers can take. Rahia, too, did you have anything I to mean, add? I think, I think that we, we got the answer par excellence. Yeah. <laughs> actionable steps for, for any teacher, regardless of what neighborhood. But to think about why, right? Because I think the question, I think Coach Cass gave us a lot of great next steps. Coach Cass's response was so rich with actionable steps for any educator, regardless of the setting that you're teaching in. I would just add to the why, why celebrating Black brilliance matters. Mm -hmm. And I think looking at our country's history and even present condition should answer that question. Mm -hmm. We know that our country was founded and established on systemic oppression of Black and brown people. And that isn't just something in the past. It's left its mark on every institution, including education. Because of that, we have to celebrate the contributions who, of those who've been victimized and op- by this oppression since our country's inception. And we have to understand that this only happens by our intentional choice making, right? This is not gonna happen by default. The default is to go with the curriculum that doesn't highlight or center black and brown voices. The default is to go along with policies that do not support student agency, regardless of your race. So you really have to be swimming upstream. And so to intentionally set a time, even though we mentioned in the beginning of this podcast that this is going on throughout the year, but to intentionally set aside time and spaces where you are celebrating black brilliance is to go against the grain is to swim upstream also another why is i've quoted her two times already i love dr billings and she noted that we owe students the opportunity to have multicultural fluency once they graduate from high school so they shouldn't just be fluent in their own culture 
they should be fluent in more than one culture by the time they finish K through 12 education. Why is that important? Because even if your school is, is pretty segregated, New York City schools are very segregated depending on what neighborhood you live in. Once you leave K through 12 education, go into the workforce, go to college, whatever your decisions are, you have to know how to interact with people who are not like you. And these are not skills that you should be learning once you start your career. And so we owe this to all students to be able to teach them that while they're young, while they're still open to learning new things and not trying to uh, kind of do this work, the director of equity <laughs> at a Fortune 500 company trying to help people change their mindsets when they're already kind of locked in. So I think that part is really important to me. And then even naming, we kind of named this a little bit, just because you're a native to a certain culture doesn't mean that you know the history of that culture or that you know the depths of that culture. You may know some of the practices because you live in communities or whatever the case may be, your interactions with that culture outside of the classroom, but to truly study it, have opportunities to study those cultures, that's what schools should be opportunities mm-hmm. for. So I think that's why it matters to any educator. I love hearing the analogy of going against the grain because it takes a lot of work for me to unlearn all the things that I know and that I've learned and to relearn. That's what I think you were saying there, Rahia, too, and I appreciate that. One of the things, Charity, can I, I just want to, and I think I heard this in the, the podcast as well, but thinking about just the practices and policies, one example that comes to mind right away uh, is that as we're talking about Black brilliance, right? Asking teachers to scan the room for Black brilliance and how many, now I'm going to the gifted program as mm-hmm. an example. And so students get into gifted programs because teachers are the ones who identify them for gifted programs. And so if in fact, that is the practice of the process, then how many of our black students and why aren't our black students, why aren't there more black students in these gifted programs? So that is a challenge that I would throw out to teachers and especially white teachers who have these black brilliant students in their classrooms and really challenge themselves to think about how many have they identified as gifted, considered for gifted programs or have they overlooked them and why is that? So I just, you know, that those are the types of opportunities that are being missed and that our students are missing out on because of that lack of connection. At Link, we're encouraging educators across the world, because we work with educators across the world, to celebrate Black excellence. And so what are some ways, let's share some ways that educators can highlight Black excellence and brilliance during Black History Month and beyond, or what are we offering at Link? All right, this is wonderful because we definitely want our educators to engage with us at Link. Um, during February and beyond. So um, we have learning events through our Link Spring Live sessions. I think the next one is going to be with our co-founder and CEO. And then we have a session with our wonderful Cassandra, who's with us today. So please look for those sessions and register. Those are free to the public this month. We're also hosting Twitter chats every Tuesday at 8 p.m. with our fabulous uh, host here, Charity, our BL in Action 
Twitter chat. And so we would love to engage you in conversation as we really do grapple with and think about some um, questions um, that will help us to truly celebrate Black brilliance in our classrooms. We also have a Flipgrid and we have educators all the way in South America who've been responding Mm -hmm. to some of our prompts. And so we would love to hear from you. How are you highlighting Black brilliance in your classroom? You can share and also get some ideas. We have this podcast that we're sharing with you. Yes. And then we'll also be having free limited access to some of our cycles within our racial equity library that we'd like to share for a limited amount of time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there's different ways that you can engage with us and get the demo code information. And we'll have opportunities for cohort engagement after February. So we'll also be sharing some of our favorite quotes and by inspiring activists and thinkers and artists. So there's a lot of ways that you can engage with Mm -hmm. us. And I'm going to put the links to our Link Spring Live sessions and everything, all of these resources in these show notes so listeners can access from here as well. And when Rahia too speaks about our cycles and our library, those are professional development online modules. Some people call them modules, we call them cycles. How many hours of racial equity professional learning do we have in that library? So we have between 16 and 20 right now. Nice. Yes. And more more to come. Free limited access to this professional learning right now on racial equity. It's a lot of work was put into these by an amazing team that I had the opportunity to work with. And these two ladies were a part of that. We are just about finished. Again, I could talk to you two all day. Do you want to share how folks can follow you or get a hold of you? And I can also share that in the show notes too. Sure. On Twitter, I am at CC Thaddeus. And I'm also on Twitter, CB underscore Rohia too. And you will see all of us on the Beyond Action Chat. And you can see Cassandra coming up soon in Link Spring Live. Yes, join me. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Charity. Thanks for tuning in to the Blended Learning in Action podcast. I am honored to be a part of your professional learning network. For more Blended Learning PD or to continue today's conversation, join us for our Twitter chat on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time using the hashtag BLNAction.